Hello, I'm Rena Grobe, and I'm Madhvi Romani, and this is Misinformed, where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So, Madhvi, what did you get obsessed with this week? I've been thinking about Britney Spears again, because there is a new documentary about her. It's called Framing Britney Spears. It's an FX New York Times documentary. And it focuses on the Free Britney movement. We discussed this briefly in episode 18. Britney Spears, Hysteria, and Can We Please Stop Calling Everyone Crazy? And in it, we talked about the fact that Britney is under the conservatorship of her father, which means that she cannot make decisions about herself or her personal wealth of, I believe, $59 million, despite the fact that she appears to be functioning, she's working, she's been releasing an album every two, three years during this time of the conservatorship, which has been in place for the last 13 years. She still doesn't have complete control or very much control at all over her life. And this spurred the Free Britney movement, and now this documentary, just going into this whole deal that she has right now with her father, She very clearly does not want to be under the conservatorship of her father. She wants to replace him. But what's really striking about the documentary was a few things. Number one was the absolute commodification of Britney Spears. Poor woman. Number two, how sweet a little girl she was and a woman she was, really. You saw her in interviews with atrocious things being said to her. Like, let's talk about your breasts. Or a governor or governor's wife said that she saw Britney, she would shoot her. And she's just a girl. And she was just like, oh, that's an awful thing for someone to say. And she broke down on TV several times because just the amount of hate and harassment that got thrown at her. And when she shaved her heads and everything, just a reminder that she was only 25. She had two babies, close one after the other. Her marriage fell apart. She was in a custody battle. And she was being harassed by the paparazzi. At points in this documentary, she says, you know, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And let's not forget that Diana died being chased by the paparazzi. Anna Nicole Smith died because of media coverage and this kind of harassment. So she had an absolute right to be scared. And just how misogynistic our entire culture and coverage of Britney was. And one of the questions now is because of social media and the paparazzi have lost power and you can see a lot of celebrities taking control of their own narratives like Paris did. We talked about the Paris documentary and talking about real behind-the-lens issues. Paris was talking about abuse in these schools and Brittany, there seems to be some issues there about mental health and conservatorship and stuff. But what was really missing from this is Britney's voice. Britney was not in it. So are we still commodifying her and feeding off her and her life and all of this drama in the same way, but kind of shaped towards being more sensitive or accepted in our culture today? Or is it a good thing that raises awareness of mental health issues, the way we treat women, misogyny, fame, conservatorships. I mean, it doesn't have to be either or, but those were the questions that I was really thinking about when I saw this. Well, in terms of Britney Spears having a voice and a say in this, I believe they mentioned that they did reach out to her, they reached out to her father, they reached out to her lawyers, and they tried to get them to participate in the documentary. I think they say that it's unclear whether Britney even got their request. Their requests were denied or they just got no answers from 
her father and her lawyers. Yeah, the documentary was incredibly one-sided because we don't hear Britney speak. I don't think they ever dis- directly mention mental health. They also don't interview any mental health professionals in the documentary at all. In the research for this episode, I kept coming across people saying that Britney Spears at one point had said that she's bipolar. And for the life of me, I could not track down where this comes from. But it's thrown around a lot on the internet that at one point she alluded to this. In the year 2021, looking back at 2007 and her situation back then, it's really shameful as a society because we all laughed at memes. We all laughed at her. We all laughed at Chris Crocker. If you don't know who Chris Crocker is, he is the young man who made the Leave Britney Alone video, which is a defense video he released on YouTube, basically begging us all to leave her alone. And nobody really came to her defense. She was the butt of everyone's jokes. And in terms of mainstream personalities who spoke out, I feel like Craig Ferguson, Michael Moore, were some of the only people who publicly came to her defense. Craig Ferguson famously, on the Late Late Night Show, refused to mock her in his opening monologue. And he said that he is a recovering alcoholic, and he says that he recognizes a lot of the things she's going through from his own experiences. And he said, I'm not going to make fun of this young woman. And that was really rare for the time, because literally everyone took a crack at her. And if you look at some of these interviews, they ask her questions like, are you a virgin? Do you plan to stay a virgin? Who do these disgusting people think that they are, that they have the right to ask a 17 or 18 year old girl these questions? That's so personal and icky. So pedophilic too, this weird obsession with her purity. Yeah, misogyny. The Craig Ferguson thing is very interesting because he said, I'm not laughing at her. And then he said, people are falling apart. People are dying. That Anna Nicole Smith, she died. And then the audience laughed and he had to stop them and say, look, it's not a joke. We were so used to just laughing at women's lives just falling apart. And what you could see in the documentary was that they were making her do it. The paparazzi, they were just goading her, pushing that one time when she took an umbrella and smashed the car. After telling him to leave her alone, leave her alone, leave her alone, leave her alone, she just lost it because that's just a normal response. And he got the shot and he got a lot of money off it. They interview him later in the documentary and they ask him, do you feel any responsibility or how do you feel about the situation now? And he shows absolutely no remorse for anything he did. And the interviewer then asks him, did you ever think about leaving her alone? He goes, no, I don't think she wanted us to leave her alone. Like, yeah, sure, at the beginning of her career, maybe it helped her career, but surely when someone's having a breakdown, you don't take pictures of them. And then the interviewer goes, well, what about when she said, leave me alone? And he just does not acknowledge the fact that he played any part in her demise. Yeah, obviously with celebrity, there is a play between media and the celebrity. But many, many times she was saying, I'm scared, leave me alone. It's also about consent. There's this Instagram account called Demois, which is an account where people send in their celebrity stories. It's got quite a large following. And one of the things that always strikes me about the Demois account is when people will send in stories about, I don't know, they met Jennifer Aniston at a restaurant with her family, and they went in and they asked her a photo, and she was kind of rude and cold to them, and they're upset about it. I feel like we forget the celebrities are people. Jennifer Aniston, Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, Anna Nicole Smith, they're not at your disposal 24-7. And if you bother someone while they're having a meal with their family, they do not owe you anything. They are still people first. 
Sure, there's certain people who make a living off of this kind of publicity. I'm thinking about the Kim Kardashians of the world. But even they still deserve privacy and respect. And I feel like as a culture, we have completely forgotten about this and we treat these women like objects. As a society, we created the breakdown that Britney Spears went through and we accelerated it and profited off of it and we all laughed at it too. And we're still watching her though. That's what I felt when I was watching the documentary. I still felt a bit like, oh, but I'm still kind of getting entertainment Yeah, of somebody's terrible situation. It is a bit of a paradox, I guess, because I guess the problem with documentaries, no matter how well they're done, is that they have an agenda. It's media to make money. It's media to make money, yeah. And you can never really tell a one-sided story because everyone in a capitalistic consumer society, you're not putting anything out there in the world for free. And no one can go after their craft without making money. So you have to question the motives behind the people who even made this documentary. Because yeah, as you said, we're still profiting off of, we're still gaining entertainment. Off of her trauma. But let's talk about money. This conservatorship, when we're talking about money... People have different agendas. Her father, she does not want him in charge of all of her finances, but he is. According to the latest financial documents, all of her financial documents have to be submitted to court. In 2008, she had a net worth of 59 million, and that year she spent 400,000 on living expenses and 66,000 on household supplies. She spent 1.1 million on her legal and conservative fees for that year. One of her conservators, who was a co-conservator with her father, called the arrangement a hybrid business model. So her father took home 128000 of that, according to documents. She is financing everyone, and she has no say who gets hired, how much they got paid, all of that stuff. And also, this conservatorship was put into place so that she doesn't make bad financial decisions. But what is a bad financial decision? What if she wants to spend $100,000 on mascara? Is that a bad financial decision? How do we define that? Why does somebody else get to choose that? There's a really nice memory from one of her former, I would say, assistants. Felicia? Um, Yeah. Oh, I love Felicia. She's lovely. And she says, you know, the first Christmas when they were back home and Brittany had money, she went down to the ATM, she got $100 bills out and she just gave them all away, just saying Happy Christmas. Is that a bad financial decision? As far as I'm concerned, we were just talking about libertarianism with my friend who just came. And he said, yeah, like you can do whatever you want as long as you don't mess up anyone else's life. So if she wants to give away all her money, she made it. Why not? In particular, because with the Las Vegas residency, she started making more money. And her father's lawyer petitioned to have the share that they get increased. Which, if that's not a warning sign that they're just using her for profit... At least that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, I mean, imagine your parents just being like, I need to get paid more for my child. They're already all very well off. But this thing about conservatorships is super interesting because normally these conservatorships are granted over people who are normally very old and have lost their memory, their function, brain function, things like that, which Brittany clearly, she was the biggest selling Las Vegas show while she was under the conservatorship ever. So there were some lawyers on the documentary who were specialized in conservatorship. They just explained the bizarre paradox of this, that you can only get out from a conservatorship if you petition the court. And so the responsibility for you to prove that you're mentally capable of managing your own affairs is your own. Like, you have to prove that. 
not the other way around, not the people have to prove that they should still be your conservator. And obviously, you can say that, but you've already been labelled mentally incapable. So they'll say, yes, of course, you want to get out from under this, but you're not mentally capable to make that assessment. So it's like this weird catch-22. And a lawyer was asked, specialises in this, how many people have petitioned, how many people have got out of this? And she said, well, to my knowledge, no one. It should also be added that she pays everyone's legal fees, so she also pays for her father's lawyer. She had originally picked a different lawyer to represent her, and he was then dismissed by the court, and a court-appointed lawyer was put into place, who now also financially benefit. He's one of her conservators. They interviewed the lawyer she had originally hired, and he walks you through the, the process in which he was dismissed. Because they said that she's not mentally capable to appoint counsel. Therefore, he could not be appointed. So the whole thing is bizarre. There's a very interesting president for the Britney Spears conservatorship case that stretches back to 1897, when the Osaga people discovered the land that the US government had forced them onto was situated on a lucrative body of oil. So then they profited off the resources. They'd been forced to this land and they sold the oil. And they actually became some of the wealthiest people living in America. But obviously, racism, like misogyny in this case, they demanded that the wealth that these people had acquired had to be legally monitored. In 1921, US Congress passed a law that required courts to assign Osaga adults and minors with guardians who would manage their royalties and finances and thus exploited their wealth. The law states that guardianship would end when the people demonstrated competency. But how is competency demonstrated? It's the same kind of impulse to control. Why can't she just decide what she wants to do with her finance? Think about the bad financial decision. What is a good financial decision? What is a bad financial decision? It strikes me as odd that we would say that Britney Spears makes bad financial decisions when we live in a society where a group of men in suits are making terrible financial decisions. You know, they're gambling away the entire world so that they can make a few bucks. Yeah, because I guess a good financial decision is based on growth, which is unsustainable. Like you burn up all resources, personal and natural, hoard as much wealth as possible, and then just die with the biggest pile of money. How is that a good financial management? Yeah, also considering the fact that the concept of money is and wealth is a human-made thing, what? who is to say that there's no right or wrong answer because we've made this concept up? Thus, it is only our cultural norms that dictate what is a good decision. So, And also, actually, what she has said is she's very happy. I don't know if she's very happy, but what she wants is that her father is not in charge of it, that she would put a bank in charge of it or something like that. She really wants that, but they refuse to give her that, which is strange. We can never look behind the scenes and fully understand what's happening. If you believe the documentary, then her father was not around a lot in her childhood. I believe in the documentary they say that he struggled with alcoholism, that he wasn't a stable figure. So as an outside person looking in, it seems very strange that he would be appointed this person. I also felt really bad for Brittany because there's this, we just mentioned her, Felicia, this lovely woman who, who was appointed to be like her chaperone, assistant. I think that that was the title they settled on the end, was assistant. And she shares these memories of when they took the train from, I think it was Paris to London or London to Paris, and they go underwater and the, the, how excited they were and how cool they thought they were. And you see this real innocence 
and you see all these pictures and you can kind of see what a lovely relationship Felicia and Brittany had and how Felicia was kind of like a mother figure in there for her. And then Felicia goes on to describe how once his conservatorship was put into place, there were decisions made about who was in her inner circle, who got access to her. She was kind of shut out and she was still involved, but in a very different role and she didn't have direct access to Brittany. And you kind of get the sense that they isolated her. They really isolated her from anyone who had her best interests at heart or who was close to her. And then from there on, you slowly see this is all in the buildup to 2007. And it's just heartbreaking. And interestingly enough, also at the beginning of this month, sort of at the exact same time as this documentary came out, a movie came out called I Care A Lot with Rosamunda Pike in the main role, which weirdly is about something not the same, but it's about a woman who, a con woman, who finds vulnerable old people, gets the court to appoint her, because she runs like a care home, gets the court to appoint her their guardian, and then sells their home and like cuts them off from the outside world and takes all their money. This movie is about her next victim and how basically she finally meets her match because she thinks she can trick this old woman. It's on Netflix. It's a dark comedy. But so it's sort of like there's something in the air. This topic is in the zeitgeist right now. Yeah. Exploitation. Exploitation. Because we're all in some way, shape, or form being exploited by a capitalistic society. So like Britney Spears loved singing. So her parents, if the documentary is to believe at the beginning of her childhood, they weren't financially well off and they were struggling and they weren't doing too well and... Their daughter's talent and her charisma was their golden ticket. I'm sure that it, they just want what, or at least Lynn Spears, I can't speak for Jamie Spears, but it genuinely seems like her mother just wanted what was best for her, and I do truly believe that. Yeah, she was such a small-town girl, and very sweet, and very innocent, and she still has that kind of sweetness, I would say, because, you know, when you see her in interviews, but also what you can see... And what everyone makes it really clear, like her dancers and with her choreography is, she is in complete control too. She's very smart. She's really talented. She's really good at what she does. The fact that she can go on stage night after night in Las Vegas, that she can sit through those interviews, that she can continue to, from such a young age, to be given so much and to still like maintain control when she was questioned over her sexuality, all of this sort of stuff shows incredible resilience and also emotional control. And I'm sure she'll get through this. I do think that she's not to be underestimated. I think we can't fall into the thing of thinking of her solely as a victim because that would strip her of her agency. And she's still a very... We do that to women a lot. You put them in one box or the other. And she still is a smart, capable woman. And we need to recognize her as such and give her credit where credit is due and at the same time, I don't know, I think like you can recognize that someone is smart and capable and maybe, of course, she wanted to be successful and she loves to sing and she is in control, but she was also exploited. I don't know, like when you think back to Hit Me Baby One More Time and that outfit and that entire thing, there is something incredibly gross about it. But at the same time, there's this weird dichotomy of she's in this highly sexualized outfit doing highly suggestive things. Yes, she was young, she was 17, 18, but it, I think it would also be wrong to deny her her sexuality, her control as a woman. I mean, that's what her and Christina Aguilera and everyone had to do. They had to take control of their sexuality. And they were also very smart in appealing to the burgeoning sexuality of girls, younger girls who wanted to be sexy like them and the school uniform. Maybe it was in one way 
an old man's fantasy, but I think it's a young girl's fantasy. And that's why they were big hits with all those fans and stuff, because it appealed to young girls' sexuality, and she was everything that they wanted to be. Yeah. I mean, we saw it happen again with Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus was this cute Disney star, and then she was growing up, and then she completely changed her image, and we we were so terrible to Miley Cyrus. And luckily, we didn't drive her quite to the brink like we did Britney, but look what we did to Lindsay Lohan. We did the same thing to her. Society did the same thing to Lindsay Lohan. And look at Justin Timberlake. Nothing. Untouchable. Got away with everything. Him and his ramen hair. And he can't, like, okay, he was an okay dancer, but look at Britney's dancing. Oh, nowhere near. Nothing. But I think that just goes, women have to work twice as hard to prove their worth. We were not pitting Justin Timberlake against any male contemporary pop star, but we were pitting Britney and Christina against one another. You could be a Britney or a Christina. Which... Yeah, there's always that, isn't there? There's Aniston versus Jolie. It's not even the women who were in competition with one another, because sure, I'm sure that Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera in some way were in competition with one another in the sense of like, they were the biggest pop stars of their time. And you are always sort of in competition with someone else in the same field. But as a culture, the media really wanted to pit them one another. And that's how they sold their magazines, how they got views when they were on TRL or MTV. So it was more a created rivalry than it was anything else. Because the idea that women could support each other or that two women can be successful in the same way, ridiculous. But of course, the same is never true for men. Mediocre men can be incredibly famous for doing half the work that women do. And on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one, treat everyone with kindness because you have no idea what they're going through. And this is particularly true for people in the media. Think twice about negative comments about celebrities and pop stars. Thing two, stop buying celebrity gossip magazines because they are commodifying people with lives and harassing them and photographing them and making them feel bad. And yes, sometimes it does end in death. And thing three, be yourself. In the documentary, Britney Spears says you can't please everyone. And maybe that's a lesson we all need to learn. Until next week, thank you for listening. Goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud or support us on Patreon at patreon.com misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.